0: In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I'm your host, Evan, and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Dan. What's going on, guys? Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of hobbies. What we're going to cover in today's episode includes what qualifies as a hobby, our hobbies, does having a hobby or multiple hobbies correlate with success in other aspects of life, ancient wisdom on the topic, what's the point of having one, most popular hobbies in the current year. And how to find a hobby that interests you and fits into your lifestyle. And of course, we'll wrap up the show with this week's hot takes. To start off, uh, what qualifies as a hobby? Hobby is defined as a pursuit outside one's regular occupation, engaged in especially for relaxation. Hobbies are leisure activities that take time, energy, and often money. So, is watching TV a hobby? You're probably hoping it is. Very unlikely. <laughs> we we conclude it's very unlikely that watching TV is a hobby, unless you're analyzing classic movies or something like that.
0: What about non-classic movies? If you were to analyze uh, just real garbage movies.
1: I, I wouldn't. Mm. If you're doing it just to, like, analyze it, maybe, maybe it would qualify, but just vegging out on the couch watching AMC all day.
0: Yeah, which, I mean... I think we've all done that, but, yeah, it doesn't quite qualify as a hobby.
1: Yeah, you know me always watching Hallmark movies, you know, (laughs) day in, day out.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Around Christmas time, you can't get him out of the house because he's just
1: glued to that TV. (laughs) Yeah, so hobbies are active and not passive. Uh, So what about activities you do only a few times or once every few years? I would say that these would not qualify as hobbies uh, because hobbies are pursuits that are done on a somewhat regular basis. If a hobby becomes profitable, is it still a hobby? If it still brings you relaxation and doesn't become just your job, it is still a hobby. And they have, they can have correlation of profitability, but that's not the point of it. There are activities which are done for their own sakes. And does everything have to be done for the sake of money? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's
0: a good point. I would say probably uh, no. Uh, there's there's a lot of other things that are
1: better than money, and, and we'll get to those. Yeah. We'll outline that later in more detail. Does sports count as hobbies? Mm. That was the hardest question I I had regarding the topic. I would say it depends. If you truly play in order to unwind, then it is a hobby. But if you play in order to build strength, increase your endurance, or because it's your job, uh, then it probably should be be better classified as training.
0: So what if you were, let's say, a college student and you're not – in like the official college team, but what they call it intramurals, and that what they yeah, call it.
1: Yeah, there's different levels, but yeah, uh, so if
0: one you're one doing one something like that, would you consider that a hobby? You know, oh, I just get together with the guys and do disc golf. Yeah, well, <laughs> on the weekends, <laughs> like yeah. someone you may know.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, I'd say it depends on your perspective on it, and just like your motivations for doing the sport. If it's to just have fun, unwind. Maybe even better yourself a little bit, it's a hobby, but otherwise, if you're doing it to like incre- better your mile time or get more in shape just for that sake, and it's not something you really enjoy. I consider it more training
0: yeah i i would I would agree with that at that level when you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it to unwind that really is the uh the qualifier there
1: like would you consider LeBron James to have a hobby of basketball? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'd say no. Not, not even just with the fact that he gets paid lots of money to do it. But, I mean, if he put in that much effort, as I know he does, uh, to train and get that good, yeah, that's at that point, that's way more than a hobby there. Right.
1: That, that's what I think, too. All right, so what are our hobbies? I've had many over the year, but currently I'm working through the Great Books of the Western World series, slightly um, changed for my own preferences. I have read nine of the selections so far, but also I've started to do cheese making. So far I've only made soft cheeses, mozzarella and cottage cheeses, uh-huh. but I plan on doing hard cheeses sometime this year whenever I build a cheese press. We We have a vegetable garden and harvest the produce for our own cooking. I'm halfway learning to play the guitar, but that's half-hearted, and I just can play a few songs and strum a few chords. Daniel, what about you? Well, uh,
0: I've been reading a lot more lately. You know, with reading, for me, it kind of comes in waves. So I'll go a long time not really reading much, not being interested in anything. And then, you know, something will grip me or uh, a few books will come to my mind and I say, hey, I I should read those. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, I've been reading a lot of nihilistic postmodern type of stuff right now, fiction mostly. Um, Like
1: what kind of stuff are we talking about? Well,
0: I I read House of Leaves by uh, Mark Z. Danielewski. Um, I saw a video, and see, here's a little tangent. Um, When I'm on YouTube, I mean, the recommended videos are as random and out there as they come. So, you know, I'll be watching one thing, boom, there's another suggested video, piques my interest, I'll watch it. And so out of nowhere... This video comes up of the scariest novel ever written. And I said, OK, I've got to I've got to click on this, clicked on the video. The guy did this little review of the book House of Leaves. And I said, wow, this sounds scary. I really want to I want to challenge myself. I don't really read horror. And so I, I ordered it. And a lot of people said it's like a it's just real slog to get through. Like it's real hard. It's written like in an academic paper type style. It's very strange. But anyway, it's like a haunted house story. And I loved it. And I actually like the academic style it's written in. Um, And so I read through that. I was like, man, this was really good. And so then I said, well, I've always wanted to read Fight Club. Got Fight Club, read it. Um, And then I got Clockwork Orange and American Psycho. So I'm all set with the uh, peak Sigma male reading list. Um, But as far as other things not related to that, I do write. Uh, from time to time, Evan might know something about that. Um, <laughs> and of course we work on this podcast. Uh, so that does take up some time and it's fun to research and and of course uh, actually put the podcast together like we're doing right now. Um, and the gym, the gym uh, Evan and I have been going for <clears throat> excuse me for a while, um, taking breaks here and there because of different reasons. but um, we've definitely tried to stay on it as far as you know, physical fitness is very important to us and so as soon as i get back in um yeah i'm gonna be hitting it hard trying to get back to benching 200 which is really not that much but you know considering my size i think that's that's a pretty good goal yep and uh lastly i make trap beats on garage band from time to time and uh i make some of the music (laughs) or i have made some of the music for this podcast here trying to trying to improve my musical
1: skills you make that rap crap
0: yeah, really. Now, let me let me jump back real quick to something you mentioned which was uh the great books of the western world series. Now, what are some of the ones you've read and what are some of your favorites so far that you would recommend to people listening?
1: You're right. So, I've read um two works by Plato, Crito and Apology. Okay. Those are actually really good. Um read two books by Aristophanes, The Clouds and Lysistrata. Didn't like Lysistrata. But well, and I didn't like The Clouds much either, but it was a lot better. Oh, what were they about? What well, was it,
0: it was kind of weird about them?
1: Well, The Clouds is mocking Socrates. It's just like a whole play that says how Socrates is he's all in the clouds. That's where the title comes from. And he uh-huh. runs this academy of sophistry where he just teaches people how to cheat everyone and have <laughs> lax morality. <laughs> it's not a based on reality at all. It's actually one of the causes of Socrates being put to death. It really? It was critically acclaimed, and everyone loved it, and it really turned—it was decades before he died, but it helped turn public opinion against Socrates.
0: Oh, so this dude just went out, published a a work that was— It was a play. Okay, published Pu- a, a play. performed. And
1: it was basically,
0: like, slanderous libel. Yes. And they were just like, oh, cool. We'll take this at face value. This guy's a bad guy. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was—it definitely wasn't— that accurate. Oh. It, it paints Socrates as a total sophist, and it, it's kind of where the charge of, um, what was it corrupting the morals of the yeah. youth? Yeah, it, it's where it's it's one of the causes of that charge.
0: Oh, okay. But it, that was one of uh one of the low points you said in it your was, reading so far. It,
1: it was a fun play to read, but it was totally inaccurate. Oh. <laughs> Actually, Apology and Crito by Plato or Plato are. Uh, written in Socrates is being condemned to death and after he's condemned to death. Oh. Apology, or Crito is his friend coming by saying, you know, we can break you out of here and you can survive. And he gives a bunch of reasons why he's not going to do that, even though he could.
0: Yes, I had heard that. Now, is that accurate, that the Socrates did have that encounter and said, no, I'm going to stay here? And
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because Plato actually... I think he puts himself as he puts himself as a character at Plato's Trial and Apology, mm. in at Socrates' Trial and Apology.
0: What a gangster, just facing yeah. fate like that.
1: Yeah, it's a really good one. It's short too. Mm. I'm trying to think what else I've read. Oh, there was Plutarch's uh, Lives, uh, Noble Lives of Grecians and Romans. And
0: was that the one you sent the picture of to right. me?
1: That's got like all the
0: little little biographies of famous people yes. from antiquity. That seemed like a really cool read, and I think quick teaser here maybe that will end up in an episode in the future Who I'm knows? considering
1: doing episodes on all the books I've read yeah so I mean
0: a lot of good information there in this in this uh, course you're, you're working through
1: yep but we can move on from that though. sure that's sure. just a little teaser
0: a little teaser we like to give those little behind the scenes uh, additions on the podcast so uh, does having a hobby or hobbies correlate with success in other aspects of life Now, there is little scientific literature on the subject, but based on anecdotal evidence uh, from the world's movers and shakers, uh, there is definitely a strong correlation between being successful and having a hobby, or more than one. Does that imply causation? Not really. It may be that successful people are simply the type of people uh, who also take time for their hobbies. Maybe those things go hand in hand. Uh, Taking up a hobby may not make you into a CEO or a billionaire, but it can certainly sharpen skills and uh, sharpen your mind, which is helpful when working toward your goals, whatever those goals may be. Think of it this way. The people who have achieved success know how to apply their energy and their mental efforts. So emulate them. If you see someone who is successful, ask yourself, what are they doing right? What are they doing that I'm not doing? What can I incorporate into my own life to fast track my way to success? Now, let's cover some of the hobbies of ancient people. We talked a little bit about uh, the modern movers and shakers, but people from ancient history, obviously, they were humans just like us. They had hobbies. They had things they wanted to do in their spare time. Socrates, uh, who we just mentioned earlier, uh, he asked questions. That was one of his big hobbies, and it, it made him famous. He, he would just ask questions of everybody. And he also enjoyed dancing, allegedly. Uh, Plato wrestled and was a three-time gold medalist in the sport. Uh, you know, obviously the Olympics come from ancient Greece, and he competed. And uh, he was apparently a boss. Uh, that's that's what they say. Diogenes, uh, one of our favorites on the podcast, okay. sunbathed and dunked on Plato regularly uh, and palled around with um, Alexander the Great, which would have been so cool. Hmm. Yeah,
1: so Yeah, he, m- he met him once.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and told him to get out of his sunlight, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Albert Camus uh, played soccer and he was quoted as saying this what I know most surely about morality and the duty of man I owe to the sport and learned it in the RUA which was the racing Universitaire uh, Algerios junior football team uh, Egyptians uh, back in the day while they weren't uh, or when they weren't building pyramids uh, would tame cats and uh, even cheetahs as pets or uh, for status symbols imagine just walking out into the wilderness, yeah, I'm going to go tame a cat. I'm going to go tame some cheetahs.
1: Well, they worship cats.
0: Yeah, they loved them. I guess that was probably such a big part of their culture that they had like a a rule book of like this is how you, like an instruction manual on how to tame cheetahs. I bet that there was something like that out there or like a, a word of mouth, a song or something they could remember for how to tame those things because I feel like this was something that we see in hieroglyphs And there must have been a lot of people doing it because it managed to get into, you know, etched into stone for forever. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Mob football was something that when I was doing the research for this, I was just I I had learned about it in high school and I completely forgot about it. And then I stumbled upon this article. I said, you know what? That is one of the coolest stories right there of how modern football came to be. Uh, So mob football was played in medieval Europe. It involved two giant teams, not uh, just the relatively small teams that we have today. Basically, you take the town, cut it in half, or you have two rival towns, and they create a giant team, and they compete to move a ball uh, from one side of town to the other by any means except for manslaughter or murder. So really, anything goes there. A lot more violent than modern-day football, but, hey, it was the medieval times. Uh, And bludgeoning, tackling, punching, kicking, all of that was permitted. And I... I thought when I was reading this, I thought of a great idea for a new sport. OK, so let me let me lay it on you. See what you think. You ready? Mm-hmm. OK, so I was thinking about football and I said, you know, what? That, that ball's really light. That's not manly enough. What if you had a sport where the object was to move the ball from one end to the other, but it was super heavy? It didn't move. You couldn't pick it up. It was just like a big boulder and you just had to roll it. And so you had to get guys who would roll, and then you had to have other guys who would, like, play defense and keep the other guys from pulling the pushers off of the rock. And so that would be the only objective, is you set a rock, big rock in the middle, and you just try to push it to one side or the other. That's it. It
1: would be kind of uneventful. I mean, you'd... Well, you
0: think, but the, we would go back to the sort of medieval way of doing it, where you could just, like, fight people to get to that rock. It wouldn't be just like, oh— I'm going to pull your tag, you know? It wouldn't be like two-hand touch or something. It would be literally like you're pushing and shoving and, like, tackling each other, wrestling each other to get control of the rock.
1: Yeah, but if it's so heavy, you wouldn't be able to pass it or anything. It would just be like all the action would be on one spot, you know?
0: Okay, well, maybe you make it light enough to push, you know, you get it moving, but, you know, one guy could push it, but he couldn't lift it up. It's too wide. It's too big. It's not necessarily too heavy, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I I think that there's a way that that could work, and people would actually watch it because the spectacle is not pushing the rock. When you say it like that, yeah, oh, that's boring. You know, that's like luge, but not on ice, or not not luge. I'm thinking of uh, what's the Canadian sport where they sweep? You know um, what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, I know what you're talking. Curling. About. Curling. That's
0: it. Yep. No, this would be that spectacle would be the fights. You know, I'm, I'm you know get that guy on. That's the pusher, the biggest guy on the team. He gets behind the rock and he's going, he's going, and then you are just wailing on people to try and get to him and push him off of that rock. I think there's a, there's a market for it, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I mean,
1: know. it seems like just a, a version of rugby with less running.
0: Yeah, and more fighting, and that's what people want to see.
1: This is a change my mind situation, but I think rugby is a very underrated sport It is in this country. It is. I,
0: I happened across some videos the other day, and I was like, dang, it's, these guys are
1: athletes. Sometimes I just watch rugby for fun, and I don't watch sports for fun. Yeah.
0: What Rug- about MMA? You watch any of that? No, I don't. Oh, that's – when I have a chance to watch it, I watch it because it is awesome, very awesome. But we'll continue. Sorry for that uh, – that slight detour under my new sports theory. Look, look for it in a park or a event center near you. Uh, many U.S. presidents had some unusual hobbies, uh, according to Business Insider. Washington, as in George Washington, danced. Jefferson was a wine and cheese connoisseur. Jackson loved cockfighting. Not surprised. Yeah, he was kind of like that. I can see that. Uh, Coolidge rode horses. FDR swam. Eisenhower and George W. Bush painted. And Bush still paints today. JFK was a cigar enthusiast. Nixon loved to go bowling. And Ford was a stamp collector. I didn't realize that about about all those presidents. I'm glad you
1: dove into that. I mean, other than the George Bush thing, I knew that. But There were even more. I just cut some of them out. Like Reagan also liked to ride horses. Oh, yeah. He had a ranch. Did he ever ride horse uh, in his movies? I don't know. I don't know anything about his acting career. I might look into that.
0: That might be a, another behind-the-scenes thing. Uh, it is worth noting here uh, that George Bush, W. Bush, often ran uh, at a six-minute mile pace for three miles. That is very impressive. Not many people can do that, especially at his age. Theodore Roosevelt's hobbies, uh, There's a lot of them, but here's just some of them. Hiking, uh, hunting, boxing, martial arts, zoology, reading, especially the uh, martial arts thing the, and the boxing.
1: Yeah, because he, he got blind in one eye because of boxing. Oh, really? When was that before he was president? That was during his presidency. Really? Yeah, he just got punched in the eye and went blind in that one eye. Oh, goodness gracious. Didn't stop him from boxing, I don't think. Or no. maybe he picked up some martial art after that. I don't remember.
0: Maybe, maybe. I wonder if that was before or after he was shot.
1: It was before because he was shot after or when he was running for his unsuccessful third term.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that was before, of course. Before FDR and before uh, the limit on... Uh, yeah. terms.
1: All right. So what's the point of having a hobby or multiple? Well, first of all, they're in a more productive way to pass the time as opposed to TV or endless scrolling on Facebook or Twitter or what have you. It's important to keep your body and mind active when you're awake for the most part. Common sense tells us that this will help prevent disease later on in life. And I don't Autodidacts, which are people who teach themselves, they have an advantage over those who need instruction in order to better themselves. They're they're more independent, mm-hmm. and we live in a time where you can teach yourself more by yourself than any any other time in history.
0: Yeah, I mean, YouTube is just a miracle when it when it yeah. comes to that.
1: You can learn how to be how to do like very well, basic and uh, medium range like technical skills just from watching YouTube. It's very helpful. Also, we have public libraries that hardly anybody uses. Except you. Yeah. You are I,
0: always in the public library.
1: Oh, yeah. I, hardly, I plan on hardly spending any money on this great book series because I've tracked where all of them are and throughout the, the state we live in, which will remain unnamed.
0: Unnamed.
1: Uh, so, anyways, yeah. There's lots of resources out there to be an autodidact. Some may object to hobbies because hobbies are not there to make money. But money-making should not be the end of everything. Are there other things that you do which do not make profit, yet you do them anyway? People should enjoy things without trying to extract some selfish ends. I agree. Some things are worth doing just for their own sake.
0: Yeah, it's uh, a journey of of self-discovery.
1: Do people stuff their faces with whoppers in order to profit later or even to (laughs) profit their health? no they don't
0: true true <laughs> if you if you compare it to the time wasting or like the negative things that you do every day like you don't do any of those yeah. to make money very good point i hadn't really thought about it that way
1: yeah but the second objection to hobbies is related to the first it's that it's not worth doing something which could be done by a professional for cheaper and quicker for example, some say it is not worth it to play an instrument because you could just buy music from the best musicians in the world in any genre imaginable. And you'll never be as good as the best in the world no. if, if you didn't start at a young age, you know? And that's okay. But, uh, you know, I saw that on, on a YouTube comment once. What? It was like somebody was said, it was a YouTube video, like, oh, I'm learning to play this instrument. And someone's like, why would you do that if you can just buy the music? <laughs> and man, people just lit into this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy like, people are like yeah because he doesn't want to be a loser like you pretty much <laughs> yeah just uh, yeah.
0: Mm. The, yeah the guy has no you know he's got nothing better to do with his life than just rip this dude who's trying
1: yeah. to learn trying to better himself come on man yeah. come on man <laughs> okay so let me try to expose the flaw in that logic sure uh, while it is true you will never be world famous for music there is a unique feeling and sense of accomplishment you get from gaining mastery over something. What you produce, even if it is objectively of lower quality than some commercial product, will be more valuable to you because you did it yourself. And even your family may feel the same if they share in the presentation. If they, if you write a song for your daughter, it'll mean a lot more than if you just click play on Ed Sheeran song. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because um, so many other people could do the same thing. It's yeah. it's not unique at all. It takes no skill to buy a ninety-nine cent song and play it for somebody. Yeah. Going on top of that, um, some hobbies can be of economic value. That shouldn't be the reason you do them per se. But just saying, lots of people go for artisanal stuff these days. Charge about twice what you'd buy for you know the mass-produced thing. Yeah, and it's it's wild. I know
0: a guy who does a little bit of this artisanal stuff. I guess you might call it that. Tell me what you think you would call this. Uh, Maybe rustic or something. Um, But he would take, like... like I saw pictures of of some of the furniture he had in his house that he had made himself. And he basically just went out on his property. He cut down some trees and stuff. And he was like, hey, I'm going to make a table and chairs out of this. And so he made, like, a kitchen or, like, a dining room set. And it still had all the bark on it. Like, all of this stuff was... Like, it was made that way on purpose, and people were like, hey, I want to buy this, or, hey, that looks really cool. Like, it got a lot of likes on on Instagram or whatever because it still had the bark on it. It it looked like you had quite literally just taken it out from where it was in nature five minutes ago and brought it right in, and that's what people go for these days, and they charge outrageous prices. Yeah, so, I mean, that it can be economical, sure.
1: Yeah, we're really living in a time where people are valuing, like, organic and uh – uh Artisanal stuff. So you can take advantage of that if you want to make some money. But you'll probably break even at best. Other reasons are that hobbies are an excuse to interact with others. Sometimes there are communities based around hobbies. Um, for example, ham radio. I've never dealt with it, but I know there are whole communities of people who just play with ham radios mm-hmm. and, like, talk to each other and stuff. There's some big communities, tight-knit communities around some things. It also builds skills. Some of the skills may be useful in emergency situations, or if society were to break down, someone needs to know how to make soap from scratch. If you take the Benedict option and have a commune out in the country, could you make soap? I, you I've to? never done it, but I know how to.
0: I I should know, and there are um, there are instructions in Fight Club, and I just kind of skimmed over those. Uh, but <laughs> I I do know people who do know, and I could ask them. I guess. Um, do you think you could make like a uh, like a fire, just from what you find in the woods. I'm an Eagle Scout, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. So yeah, you you could probably do in it theory. better than most people I know. In theory, uh, are there are there like, do you have like a, a an arsenal of um, of different techniques, or is there just one that you guys really learn and you master it?
1: We usually just use like lighters and you know. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, mean, what do you call it? Uh, like matches or like batteries? No, we never use batteries. I'm saying oh. we we sometimes pour uh What was that stuff on it? The uh, fire starter. Uh, oh, you're talking about just like a lighter fluid. Yeah, lighter fluid. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, hey, that works. So use what you we got. We cheated I guess. most of the time, but I could make it <laughs> if I had to. Okay, fair enough. You know, additionally, this really looks good on a resume. In fact, uh, I have in job interviews been asked what my skills were, what my like basic. Uh, Skills were and like around the house or anything, and I was hard pressed to think of anything. So that's why I started cheese making. Mm. Yeah, because they made me feel bad about that. I was like, uh, I repair stuff sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. So you needed like a uh, a dedicated
0: go to answer, but also something that you could you know invest some time in. Yeah, so
1: that it, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes you more interesting for sure. And saying that, it gives you something cool to talk about with friends, coworkers, the new people you meet. It's a good icebreaker. Especially it if is. you're really good at it.
0: Yeah, it's not real uh, not real interesting to other people when they're like, hey, so what do you do? Oh, I just sit around and watch TV when I'm not at work.
1: Yeah. Have wow. you watched this new series on Netflix? Yeah. Ugh. Those are the worst conversations. <laughs> it allows you to exercise your willpower, patience, and other soft skills. If you're dedicated enough and lucky enough, a hobby can grow into a job and even a career. You know, some people wrote on the side, like Aldous Huxley we talked about last week, Turned that into his full-time job. Yeah. Podcasts sometimes are started from guys who have normal jobs. Yeah. Can relate. You know, <laughs> you can act. You know, if you are if you act on the side or play in a band, those can turn into full-time excursions. Yes. It lets you take a break from the mundane and boring work you do, um, doing something you're passionate about and really enjoy. And there is a difference between leisure and vegging. In that both are a lack of work, but but uh, leisure, it's refreshing and invigorating. Yeah. But, but vegging, it just makes you feel dead inside.
0: Yeah, it does. Well, that's why they call it, you know, vegging. Yeah. You become a vegetable. Yeah, and that's one is active, one is passive. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's a real important distinction there. So let's talk about the most popular hobbies in the current year, twenty twenty one. What are people doing? When they're not at work, when they got some free time, uh, they're gardening. They are cooking. They're doing calisthenics. Now, in the notes here, it says not yoga because that's demonic. And I want to I wanna stop right there and, <laughs> and ask so what, what's that about yoga being demonic? I want to know this explanation.
1: Well, yoga is like a, a branch of Hinduism, or it's a practice within Hinduism. Yeah. So it's not just sitting around and stretching. There's like music, and they hot yoga is also like a more accurate um, mm-hmm. depiction of what this yoga practice is within Hinduism. Oh. It's supposed to get. It's supposed to connect you with the, the gods. Oh, okay. Well, well, it, that's, I wouldn't the, say it's necessarily
0: demonic. It's not like they're worshiping the devil. They're just worshiping a, a different.
1: But think about all the pose, All the poses are different animals. Yeah, like
0: <laughs> or plants sometimes, yeah. or it's, or mountains, or it's whatever. all like
1: natural things to try to connect you with the gods, so they're gods. So well, that's sure. yeah. I think it's it's often a place that you know bad things can creep into your life if you know what I mean. Some things that need a little specialist priest. Oh, so you're saying that if I do yoga, I'm gonna be possessed by the devil? Uh it's it's a possibility. It ha- it has <laughs> happened before. <laughs> And okay. I have heard many and exorcists say that yoga has been the start of demonic activity like a pa- really like an entry point for some demonic activity. All
0: right, forget the whole forget the whole stone football thing I had. I got a better idea. I'm going to go <laughs> straight to the Hollywood XX and I'm going to say, "Hey, look, I got a great idea for a new horror movie. Forget about Blair Witch, forget about uh, the the happening or whatever. What we're going to do is we're going to have a movie start off where everything's fine until the the wife or the mom does yoga, and then all hell breaks loose, and um, that's the movie.
1: And the yogi's possessed.
0: Yes, the yogi is possessed. Um, I think that's a winner right there. That's that's summer blockbuster if yeah. I've ever heard one. But there yeah. you go. That's that's why, according to to Evan, yoga is demonic. Just, just stretch.
1: Don't call it yoga. Don't, don't start, don't say oom um or whatever. Just stretch, okay? <laughs> don't call it yoga. <laughs> or
0: calisthenics, like or calisthenics. said. calisthenics. Yeah. Come on. All right, okay. Uh, going to the gym. Now, the Iron Church, that's where all of us need to be uh, as often as we can. Uh, there is almost nothing better than going to the gym, hitting it hard, and when you walk out of there, you never feel worse than when you came in. You always feel better. Sure. Al- almost, always, unless you get an injury or something, obviously you're going to be feeling bad, but... At least you, you know, you were going 100. percent So you can't look at that and be like, "Dang, I, I got hurt because of something random, a random accident, or I was just being dumb." No, I mean you were going out and trying to trying to improve yourself. So at least you can have that consolation. A sport you enjoy uh, is another very popular hobby in the current year. Probably football, basketball. You know, people like to go golfing. Disc uh, golf. Disc golf. Yes, big time. Uh, investing or day trading or, you know, buying a little Dogecoin here and there. I mean, I have been known to to dabble in that. I didn't put that in my list, but that is a good one. Uh, Reading, as we mentioned earlier. Learning an instrument, learning a new language, Uh, blogging, photography or uh, videography are uh, other popular hobbies, but don't make an OnlyFans, please. Whatever you do, don't do that. Uh, camping and hiking are other popular ones, and creating something like uh, a food product like beer, cheese, wine. I know a lot of people who do homebrew. So how do we find a hobby that interests us and fits into our lifestyle? A hobby should be about doing what makes you genuinely happy. That's the most important thing, regardless of your skill or talent. What makes a hobby rewarding is uh, that you, you get to improve yourself and uh, improve your skills over time ask yourself this question. What is a task that I really like and that I have liked in the past? Once you figure that out, don't rush into it. Start small so you don't get overwhelmed. Set aside an hour or two during your time off and dedicate that block alone to uh, your new hobby. Afterward, do a little bit of reflection. Did you enjoy it as much as you thought you would? If so, Slowly add more time to your hobby every week, little by little, until you reach an equilibrium with the other things in your life. That's a big part of it. You don't want to upset the balance um, because that will just sour the whole experience and maybe sour other things in your life. So start off small, work your way up, but don't overdo it. And if you did enjoy your experience, give it another go next week. Maybe think of other ways you could approach the task that uh, may make it more fun if you didn't have as much fun Uh, doing it as you thought. If that fails, maybe consider another hobby that is more practical or one that fits you better or fits your schedule better. And then just repeat the process. Did I like it? Did I not like it? Increase the time. If it's not working out, try something new.
1: All right, so the takeaways we can get from this are to stop wasting your time on your cellular device. Yes. Or the computer. Hit the gym. Read a book. Even better, Read the Bible, too. Not just the Bible. You can read other ones. Uh, Volunteer. Learn that language. Play that instrument. Just do something, man. You can do it. We believe in you. Yep. Okay. (sighs) You'll have have fun, and you'll gain skills that you never thought you could master. What else are you going to do with your time after work and before you sleep? Let's face it. You'll probably waste most of it on vices. Scientific fact is most time is wasted.
0: If you really think about it. Most of your time is wasted I mean there's very little time where you are, are just zeroed in laser focused and actually producing something and you're at peak like peak productivity but so much of your day is just especially in the modern age is just filled with emptiness and so if you that time if that time is going to be wasted you are it's already written off you might as well get something back out of it right
1: that's how I look at it just don't waste your time so much. You have about eight hours a day on weekdays and like 16 hours on weekends. Mm-hmm. So you have so much more time than you think. You can spare some time. You can. That's, you just got
0: to put your mind to it.
1: That's another thing Um, that it it's really started irking me recently when people say, oh, I don't have time to do that. I, don't, I make a point to no longer say that. I say I, I choose not to make time for that. Yeah, or, that's or more accurate. I, or I don't want to do that. Because you do have time.
0: Mm-hmm. the
1: This this can maybe be another episode, but the average American watches five to six hours of TV every day. Yeah. So you have time. You do have time to do other things. You just choose not to.
0: Yeah, but I agree. For the most part. And does that include, like, is that just all screen time or just TV?
1: Well, that study was done like a decade ago before YouTube was a huge thing. Yeah, so. we
0: might need to, to revisit that and see how much total screen time we're getting. Outside of work, because obviously some people have a job where they look at a screen all day, but yeah, outside of work, how much are you looking at your phone, your computer, and your TV?
1: I think it's probably about the same, but more spread over multiple devices, not yeah. just TV.
0: Probably. Now, to our lingering questions. Evan, when will you be able to play Through the Fire and the Flames on guitar? I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that solo, man.
1: I'm playing Yankee Doodle right now, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you haven't even gotten the slow ride? slow ride I think that was the the first song on either Guitar Hero 3 or 2 slow ride was, it was a good way to start I think uh, I can't remember the other one one of those games had slow ride the other one had um, it might have been Smoke on the Water very easy songs to play a lot of people start off on guitar doing that
1: it wasn't in my book that I got so I haven't learned it ah. I, I know a few harder ones but no it'll You'll be a long time before I'm playing Through the Fire and the Flames so will you ever pick up piano like you've been talking about forever? I, I have been
0: – well, I wouldn't say forever. Uh, I haven't been talking about it for more than, I don't think, six months, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I guess. Maybe six months. Uh, but that is something that I, I am interested in doing because the music aspect of uh, – just the very, very small music aspect of the podcast, you know, the intro-outro music, when I started dabbling in that and on GarageBand – I was like, "Wow, this is really cool," and this is something I have never really had any experience with. The last time I really dabbled in an instrument was the recorder in fifth grade. I never played an instrument, middle school, high school, um, or in my you know post graduation in my adult life. So I thought this is something that has always kind of been missing. I I like music, and I there's no reason why I can't do it. Other people can do it, can pick it up. I'm not saying I'm gonna be a you know Elton John or something. But I can pick up a few chords, learn how to put my fingers on the keys and, and get to playing. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do that within probably I'm gonna say the next couple of months. That's my goal. Next couple of months, maybe by the time summer's over, uh actually have one in my possession and I'm playing on it. You know, there's some things I gotta I gotta wrap up. I got some writing that I've just gotta finish reviewing and then maybe once that is done, I'll set my mind on piano.
1: Play some Rachmaninoff for me and I'll, be, I'll okay. be impressed with you.
0: Okay. Challenge accepted. I don't I don't even know how hard that would be, even even like I'm just so uneducated about it, I don't even know how that's probably pretty funny, the idea of me playing that. But I'm gonna try. Whatever it is, I'm gonna try. Another uh lingering question, the very last one is will either of us learn more basic Spanish? More than basic Spanish, I should say. I mean, we know a little bit. I don't know if you'd even call it basic. It's pretty novice if that's lower than basic.
1: I put intermediate on my resume. Does that count?
0: <laughs> I like that. I, I have never put that I speak any amount of another language on my resume. Uh, and I picked up a little bit in the restaurant biz, a lot of curse words. Um, and I think that learning Spanish would be so awesome and so helpful, but it, it just takes so much time. And I, to use your phrase, I choose not to spend time on learning Spanish. There you go. I should, though.
1: Yo quiero hablar en español, pero no tengo tiempo. Mm-hmm.
0: See. Yo no sé. Anyway, that's all for the main topic. But coming up next is the Hot Takes segment. It's time for the Hot Takes. All right, so the Hot Takes segment will feature two news stories from uh, this week or last week, recent news stories uh, that we are going to share with each other, and neither of us knows uh, what article or uh, piece of news the other person picked. So it'll be a surprise to us, and when they read the headline, read the details, we will uh, be able to get a uh, fresh, hot take from uh, the other co-hosts. So uh, whenever you're ready, Evan, uh, read me your story.
1: All right, so from CNN... So I don't know if you heard, but Israel has a new prime minister. I did. Benjamin Netanyahu is out. So here's what CNN says. After four elections in two years and with the country trapped in an agonizing parliamentary stalemate, Naftali Bennett appeared to be on the outside looking in, unable to reach the levers of power in Israeli politics. Having failed to cross the electoral threshold in the first election in April 2019, his right-wing party had a a mere seven seats during the latest election, and yet Bennett is now Israel's prime minister. The former tech entrepreneur who entered politics to serve then-opposition leader Benjamin Netanyahu as chief of of staff ousted his old boss on Sunday bringing an end to Netanyahu's run as the country's prime minister after more than 12 consecutive years in office and starting a new, if still uncertain, era in Israel. It's so Actually, um, this Bennett was removed from office by Netanyahu. He was like his minister, and then he was removed. It kind of like caused him to start his own new party. Oh, okay. That was a while ago. So Bennett won a confidence vote with the narrowest of margins, just 60 votes to 59. <sighs> And will lead the most diverse coalition Israel has ever seen, including the first Arab party, to serve in the government. In his speech before the Knesset confidence vote, Bennett celebrated that diversity and warned of polarization within the country. Few Israelis voted for Bennett's Yamina—that's his party, uh, Yamina party—in March's elections. He picked up seven seats compared to Netanyahu's thirty. But he was – he found himself wooed by both Netanyahu and centrist leader Yair Rapid in their efforts to form parliamentary majority. Mm-hmm. So they have to, like, form coalitions because usually there's so many parties. Usually one of them doesn't have enough votes to be a majority. Yeah. So they have to team up with other parties they normally wouldn't be friends with.
0: I think that's kind of how it is in Canadian uh, politics, like every, if I'm not
1: almost mistaken. Almost every de- democratic country is like this besides us. Yeah. Um. So Bennett will ho- will be the prime minister for two years before handing it over to L- Lapid. Okay, but here's the interesting part. Well, first of all, it goes on to say that Bennett hates government regulation and labor unions, wants to really, like, decentralize and shut down the unions that he says are really hampering the country's economy. Okay. But also he wants to shoot Palestinians who cross the border, including <laughs> children. He's explicitly said, like, Someone asked him like do you are you talking about children too that you want to shoot? He said let's face it they're all terrorists. Let's just be truthful here. Wow. He doesn't want Palestine to be a separate state. That's called the two-state solution. It's like to just push all the Palestinians into their own country and like just stop dealing with them.
0: Yeah, wait, so he you, did you say he does support that?
1: He wants one unified Israel where the Jews Jewish people dominate. Okay, so he wants to, in, to bring the Palestinians into the fold. He doesn't want Palestine to be its own country. Oh, okay. Um, and he wants Israel to annex the West Bank. He's just straight up, let's get straight it. Straight up, let's take it. Yeah, let's take it. But it's ironic because he's going to have to share governments with Yair Lapid, who supports a two-state solution. Hmm. He's, he's Jewish as well, uh, but he he called it, quote, a divorce agreement we can live with. Uh, so mm. politics makes strange bad fellows. How will this work out when this guy, when the, it's the most uh, prominent and divisive issue in Israel, and Bennett is going to be in charge for two years, and he's going to give it over to Lapid for two years after that?
0: Okay, so just to make sure I got this right, Bennett will be in there for two years, and in that time he will be kind of pushing forward this one-state agenda. And then the t- other the other guy, what did you say his name was? Lapide. Lapide will be in there uh, for two years after that, and he will go more more than likely he will go forward with a two state solution.
1: Well, who knows what they'll actually do in practice? But that's, well, that's their that's platforms. their goal.
0: Okay. Wow, this is a very complex situation here. That's and why it
1: warrants a hot take because we know almost nothing and yet we're we're giving our <laughs> strong opinions.
0: Yeah, the disclaimer, I, I hardly know anything about Jewish politics or Israeli politics, but I might give it a whack. I think that a lot of people it seemed uh, over here in America uh, were divided. A lot of people liked Netanyahu, a lot of people didn't. a lot of people liked Israel. A lot of people didn't. And that's still the case. You know, I'm using the past tense, but that's still the case. It's a very divisive issue even over here. And certainly it's um, certainly it's got to be worse for the people who are in the country itself because, like you said, it was like neck and neck. You said 60 to 59. Mm. Like people are really divided over this issue. They've had there.
1: like four failed elections in the past year yeah. because nobody could get enough votes to be prime minister.
0: So I – Honestly, I don't really know what to expect or what even to predict is going to happen next because it seems like so much of it is up in the air and the time frames are so short. Two years is not enough for anybody to really get anything done. I mean, we complain about you know presidents here for four years not doing anything. Two years, that's that's nothing. That is, that is no amount of time for anybody to get anything done. So my prediction is that this state of kind of perpetual war between Palestine and, and Israel is going to continue. There's not going to be a solution anytime soon, no matter whether you're a two state or a one state guy. Um, So there's still going to be a lot of hectic stuff going on until one side gains ground. until they gain one side gains momentum and really pushes because as divided as these people are, I don't think they're going to be able to sit down and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. And the whole country gets behind it. That's what it's going to take in order to achieve either of those solutions.
1: I think it's worth noting that Bennett, uh, doesn't like the two-state solutions because he thinks Palestine will be a thorn in Israel's side, like always trying to take back land and stuff and starting wars. So instead, he just kind of wants to subjugate the Palestinians so that they won't. Yeah, now they're in his control. But let's
0: let's talk about that. Okay, for uh, let me go back for a minute. You said something about the Arab League or the Arab cabinet he has or something.
1: Yeah, it'll be the first time that an Arab party has served in the government, like in the in the coalition. So they're like, non-Jewish. Yeah, it's there. it's like representing the the Muslims in Israel because there is a sizable minority there of Muslims is. in Israel. So, I
0: want to quickly address this right here for all the people who criticize Israel and say that they're bad. There they're as as you know, they're the they're the real terrorists and it's not the Palestinians and it's not the Saudis or the Iranians or whoever that the the Israelis are the real bad guys. For a, a bunch of bad guys. They sure are very diverse, you know, uh, over in their country. And they they are allowing a group of people uh, who they who people claim they hate and they want to exterminate, to have power in their government. That, to me, rings false. They don't
1: want it. It's just like necessity in order to have a majority.
0: Well, but still, they're willing to put aside their differences in order to gain something politically. There has to be something said for that. The same cannot be said for, let's say, Iran, you know, or someone, some other country over there, which tends to have a majority of, of Islamic people. They don't have any Jewish cabinets in their government. Yeah, they don't have the uh, Jewish minority minority that's represented.
1: Well, there's only one Jew in all of Afghanistan. <laughs> really? Yep. There's one guy. What's his name? I don't know. <laughs> we should have found he, out. We'll find out. He runs his like, he runs like a rundown synagogue. That's why he won't leave. He wants to like, keep it going. Oh, okay. He's so like he's the lo- one token Jew. Yeah, he's like the local Jew. <laughs>
0: Well, okay, so this, this to me that's kinda of hypocritical. I feel like these people are not giving them the credit that that they're due. They do have they you know, being a majority Jewish country, they do allow Muslims to operate in there and hold political office. There's something to be said for that. However, um I think that in my personal opinion, uh now this is probably gonna get banned off YouTube or whoever, but I don't care. Um the as far as his goal of of just shooting Palestinians. That's what he said. I'm not advocating this at all, but this is what the gentleman said. Um, Bennett said, according to you, that he wants to just shoot them at the border, the, the Palestinians. And you know what? I'm not going to knock a guy for wanting to protect his nation. Yeah, but, Hot take right there. Okay. <laughs> if a gentleman wants to, wants to protect his nation, I understand that. Now, the whole women and children thing, I get that's a controversial issue, and I would say um, let's avoid that at all costs. However, with the way that these people are taught to view the Jews and Israel, I I understand like these people will will grow up, kids will grow up, and to believe that these people are evil and they need to be destroyed. I mean, there are places in this in this world where they chant death to Jews, you know, death to Israel, destroy it, level it, take it over. And we know from history that the Islamic people tend to want to come into certain areas and erect their own uh, is Islamic, you know, their own religious uh, temples and things on top of religious sites that are important to the people they've conquered. So there's not a it's not like this is just out of the blue. This is something that's been going on for a very long time. It's going to continue to go on regardless of the of the politics that are going on today until these two world religions somehow agree to disagree or come to an agreement or destroy each other. It's never going to end. Always going to be fighting. That's my, that's my take on it. Okay. Now, are you ready for this? Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to a three-minute trailer for a new documentary that's coming out produced by Tariq Nasheed. You may know him from some famous Twitter spats he had with, uh, oh, so many different people, but most notably Ben Shapiro and uh, other right-wing agitators if you can even call them that. So uh, this is the trailer for a new documentary called Buck Breaking. When we talk about buck breaking, we have to understand that buck breaking is a show of power. It's a show of dominance. So we can't talk about buck breaking without talking about power. When we look at the domination of black people by the dominant society, what we are in essence seeing is that this society wants to ensure that we are not able to actually mete out that thing that makes humans exist, and that is creating families
1: and procreating.
0: See, psychologically, when we're talking about the sexualizing of our people, primarily from the dominant society or the system of white supremacy, it had to be established in a very impinging way from the mental state.
1: This whole notion
0: that masculinity is somehow toxic and detrimental to society is nothing but an attempt to emasculate black malehood.
1: It's clearly an agenda. If you have two eyes in your head and you're able to see, you can see that it's an agenda, and it's an agenda to, to decrease our population.
0: It's always been about destroying the black family. The family's the foundation
1: of a people. The heterosexual black male is last on the pecking order here in America. If you're just a, a heterosexual
0: black man, how are you gonna beat the case? Because when you show up to court, when you show up to the job interview, when you show up to wherever, you coming in here as a heterosexual black man, you have no power. It's black masculinity that most exposes the fraud of white masculinity. We as the progenitors of culture, the ones who are the fathers and mothers of civilizations who taught all people, who people look to for social cues, whether they wanna realize it or not. I think they feel if they can get us to adapt to it, they can get everybody to adapt to it.
1: We need resources in education. We need resources in labor. We need resources in politics. We need resources in medical. We need resources in so many things, but they ignore that and they put millions and even billions of dollars to tell us that you need to really embrace your LBGT side. So these people have an agenda, and it's up to us to understand what the agenda is.
0: And that concludes the trailer. So, uh, for a little bit of backstory here on this, um, this idea of, of buck breaking—it was—it was a practice that allegedly uh, occurred during uh, the times of slavery, where. Uh, plantation owners and whites would take an unruly black male they would um, uh, issue corporal punishment against him so that he couldn't he um, couldn't resist and then they would uh, sexually assault uh, the gentleman in question and um, that was called buck breaking okay now this practice is is obviously it is not like very well documented and some people say it probably didn't even really happen at all so there's conflicting reports on that. It may or may not have happened. But um, so Tariq Nasheed's idea here is that there's this whole conspiracy to put LGBTQ uh, ideas into and disseminate those into the black community in order to upend their masculinity, which would then basically destroy their culture. That's his his goal with this documentary is to prove that that's what's going on. So it's interesting that Tariq Nasheed, who... Is, pretty, is a pretty woke warrior type guy, um, you know, social justice warrior, has taken this stance against the LGBT community in terms of the black community and said, saying that they're um, they're not intersectional, that they
1: are at odds. So what say you about this? Honestly, I'm just very confused, but <laughs> i try my best. So is he opposed to LG, LMNOP?
0: I didn't whatever? realize. Um, but I guess based on this trailer, yeah. I guess that's what
1: these people are saying. You know, see, it's kind of implying it's a white invention or something, like yeah. a white cultural paradigm. Yes. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. It seems
1: seems kind of accurate. The, just the whole movement, the whole LMNOP movement is just, uh, I don't know, it seems propagated by white men mostly. I would agree.
0: Uh, you know, white liberals east coast liberals yeah who are supporting these things and throwing as the guy said he, he is he does hit on something very interesting that they are throwing millions of dollars at this you know i i would disagree that they aren't throwing millions of dollars at other things he says we need jobs we need resources they're getting those resources there there is a very large welfare state which is redistributing wealth to places that it is allegedly needed um but yes there is also this big machine this corporate machine this government machine that is that is encouraging this type of culture, this LGBT element of B culture, uh, in all communities, and so there is a part of me that says Tariq Nasheed might be onto something. Now the assertion earlier, what do you think about this? Where the guy says, you know, we are the progenitors of culture, you know, he comes so close to saying we was gangs. It was so funny. But that's what he says. He says we're the progenitors of culture, and people look to us for social cues. And uh, you know, we gave birth to civilization, or something along those lines. And he says if they can change us, they've they've got you. They've got it all. What say you about that?
1: Well, I'd say firstly that uh, I don't think it's targeting minority communities. This whole P business—it seems to be more rampant in white communities, and it's like kind of secondary and. You know, uh, Hispanic and Black communities. So I wouldn't say it's targeting, but to say that mm, that the movement has had a bad effect on masculinity is true. Yes. I would say that sh- whether people want to admit it or not, and people can talk about, oh my, I know this gay guy who's so muscular and whatever, but his boyfriend probably isn't.
0: Yeah, and we gotta we gotta talk about voting patterns too. Mm-hmm. Voting patterns are, are huge, and that's that's part of it. Is that if you can encourage a group of people to change and with those changes come changes in voting patterns, and those voting patterns benefit you, then
1: that's that's good. Let's keep doing that. Yeah, just, know, that's their opinion. Just think the whole, like, not just gay, but the trans movement, is completely trying to redefine what masculinity even is. You know, yes. it's totally destroying the whole concept of masculinity and, and manhood.
0: All gender. Or yeah, or both
1: gender. what it means to even be a man. And so, of course, if you subscribe to that, you're going to have a warped view of masculinity. You're going to call it all toxic masculinity or think there's no value in being a man. Yes. Well, alternatively celebrating a woman who b- wants to become a man and vice versa. It doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, so
0: well, any other any other thoughts on this, on Tariq Nasheed's masterpiece?
1: I was just very confused by it because there were so many conflicting things in there. I There's just a lot going on. I, I wasn't really sure what to make of it.
0: There is a lot going on and I think he probably could have done a better job of, of cutting to the chase better maybe with like some narration in there with, with an actual scripted narrator saying what this movie is about I mean I, I guess I get it it's it's breaking the buck it's breaking the the, the African American male so that they can push an agenda on them and control them I guess is what he's trying to get at maybe, maybe he's onto something but he has been ripped apart on social media you know everybody is like making fun of him saying that he's watching gay porn and stuff you know
1: <laughs> I don't know that's too bad I would say in general, like, I don't know what conclusion uh, this guy's coming to, but I'd say the welfare state in general emasculates men. Yes,
0: it replaces them as the father.
1: It replaces them. And we could talk about the, you know, the state of families in America. It's not just the black family, but it's especially like the black family is ahead of the curve in a bad way on this when it comes to, you know, men not being active in raising children and single motherhood culture statistically black families are are worse off in that way Mm -hmm. so there's some maybe something to be said i i I don't know i'm just so thoroughly confused by the trailer that it's hard for me to even piece (laughs) anything together well
0: that's what that's what i was going for perfect hot take segment where you're just so confused that you just have to uh, you just got to spit it you know no no thinking involved (laughs) any uh any last words before we depart
1: no, but I can preview next week's, oh. which will be next week's episode, which will be quite sizzling. Yes. It,
0: what What about it will be so sizzling?
1: Well, it's going to be our first debate podcast. Oh, it yes. won't be all debate. We'll do some explanation, some definition, but it will be our first one where we we disagree mightily on the topic at hand. I won't give it away. Yes. Yes. Uh, I w- that's a- we, we will have a lot of disagreements. Not all the arguments will be you know, uh, written down or thought too much about beforehand. It might be some on, on the cuff.
0: Yeah, and I'll, and I'll go ahead and say that we're not going to uh, uh, solve anything.
1: <laughs> we we're may. Not, we're,
0: not, we're not going to come up with the, the be-all, end-all solution because uh, what we're talking about has been hotly debated for a long time. Yes. With that being said, that is all for today's show. Join us again next week for even more ancient wisdom.